with me to Nehemiah chapter 11. And in your personal life, keep praying for revival. Nehemiah chapter 11, and we will cover two chapters. I certainly can't read two chapters, but we'll read a few verses of two chapters, and then we will move on to chapter 13 next week. Again, we go verse by verse, but not uh, in the sense that there's times when there's uh, long genealogies or long names of tribes or individuals that we're not going to read every single one of those things. Um, it would uh, certainly, I would encourage you as you read your Bible personally, I usually read all of that stuff uh, as I go through, uh, no matter what the chapter is in my personal study. But as we read today, we'll read a few verses out of this and it'll cover the context of what's taking place in the 11th and 12th chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands and they can even have it ready for you with the 11th chapter. Nehemiah chapter 11, starting verse 1, 11 verse 1, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. Some of you going there a couple of weeks, so you're going to get see where God's done a great work and will do a greater work in the days to come. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities, and other cities of Judah outside of Jerusalem. And the people blessed all the men who, here's the word, willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now, then it goes on to say these are the heads of the province. So it goes these different uh, heads. If you look at verse 6, I love, um, I love the sons of Perez who dwelt, or 468 valiant men. Did you know God's looking for valiant men? You know how you become a valiant man? It goes back to verse 2. Willingly surrender yourself to Jesus. Willingly surrender, God says, I'll make you a valiant man. Willingly surrender becomes valiant. It goes on. Verse 14, same chapter. Mighty men of valor and their brethren. Mighty men of valor. God's looking for mighty men of valor. I love special forces because of their commitment, but God will make us a special force with commitment. Warning. Verse 17, Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer. Oh, did you know God's looking for people that are full of thanksgiving and prayer? Full of thanksgiving and prayer. Who begin the day with thanksgiving and prayer. Who begin life anew every day with thanksgiving and prayer. Verse 17. All that's in chapter, uh, chapter 11. Now, verses 25 through 36. Now, those were the people dwelling at Jerusalem. And then you have verses 25 through 36, the people dwelling outside Jerusalem. These were the nine-tenths. Well, remember, one in every ten, based on casting lots, was going to live inside the city. Nine-tenths would live outside the city in the villages. So, uh, if you're in Jerusalem, you could go out to Bethany or out to Bethlehem or different places that are outside the city. And then the, vi the villages are named there. We're not going to read verse 20 25 through 36. Now, chapter 12, 
Starting in verse, chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, now, the, now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. And I'm not going to read all those names. Verse 8, moreover the Levites, and it says, moreover the Levites in verse 8, at the end of the verse, who led with thanksgiving psalms. Now David wrote what? Psalms. And psalms are songs that also can be offered up as a prayer, but they were put to music. David played a harp, so he'd write these songs or psalms, but they also could be sung as worship. They could be offered up as prayer. They could be both worship and prayer, very multifunctional. That's why a really well-written hymn, boy, you can pray it when you sing it, you know, because it's scripturally sound. It's actually giving glory to God. And so they had these thanksgiving psalms. Now, the, the word thanksgiving tells us that it's going upward. Thanksgiving psalms. These are psalms that are meant to be an incense to the Lord, both in music, but also from the heart. And it goes on to verse, um, uh, verse 24, for example. It tells a few more heads of the Levites to praise and give thanks. Alternating groups that God would actually have these alternating singing groups to lead times of worship. See, worship team. Long before the New Testament, it was already there that there would be teams to lead in worship. Verse 27, chapter 12. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, remember, the walls had been completed. Now they're dedicating the walls. All those gates have been fortified now. All the gates are set. They're in place. They're going to dedicate the wall. They're dedicating the walls because it's really the circumference of the whole city. They're dedicating the whole city unto the Lord. And they sought out the Levites, and of course the Levites were the priestly tribes. They were the men of God. They were the men that were anointed to wear the linen robes and conduct these services of praise to God, sacrifices to God, worship to God, calling the people to the Word of God, Ezra reading the Word of God. Remember, all of this was taking place uh, back in chapter 10 as well. But this is, uh, this is a special, different service that's unique. It had not taken place until this point. This is the dedication. You ever, you ever been to a, we did one here. We did, when we moved to this property, we did a Sunday night dedication service. It was dedicating. It wasn't that, that we know there's anything special about the land, but we were dedicating, saying, Lord, use this for your glory. And so they're dedicating the city in chapter uh, 12 here, verse 27. Now, the dedication of the wall, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. So some of the Levites lived in different villages to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singings. So thanksgivings could be just verbal praises, not with music, but then with singings to instruments. And it says with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps. Verse 28, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the Neteophites. Uh, Verse 31 Drop down to verse 31. Oh, uh, verse 30 first. Uh, verse 30, then the, previce, uh, then the priest and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. So there's an anointing taking place here for purification. One of the reasons why we pray before I get into the Word is God purify our hearts first, that we would hear from you. We don't want to come in here with sinful hearts, and if we do, we need to stop and be purified first and we don't have to do any special cer cer uh, ceremony. It's a sincere, Lord, forgive me. Make, 
my heart open now to the Word of God. Lord, every pastor in America is a flawed instrument, so we have to pray, Lord, take away and just kind of cleanse us so we can be used. So there has to be a purification that takes place in verse 30, and they do. In verse 31, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. Now you can't, you can't hate on choirs anymore. Choirs are a good thing. You say, I like little praise. I like them all. I like little praise groups. I like solos. I like choirs because they're all used to the Lord. Say, so two large thanksgiving choirs and one on one end of the wall, one on the other end of the wall. Verse 38 uh, tells us that the other thanksgiving choir went to the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens. Verse 40, so the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half the rulers with me. In other words, all the leaders, all the Levites, and all the choir are standing to project praise to the people and then it project up into heaven, but even outside the city. Because if you go on, it says in verse, uh, verse 42. Now, if you come here, I've actually, we've had people, thankfully, only a few times, only a few times tell us over the years. The songs are too loud here. Only a few times. And look at verse 42. The singers sang loudly. <laughs> verse 42. This is an anointed day, by the way. This is an incredibly anointed day. The Holy Spirit is upon this day. It is a powerful day. And what do the people do? It says the singers, end of verse 42, the singers sang loudly with Jezariah the director. Tawan, the director, or whatever, you know, just, you know, uh, you know all this. The, you, you have a director here. Verse 43, also that day they offered great sacrifices. Oh, God loves us to bring the sacrifices of our surrendered hearts. We're, we're not doing blood sacrifices like they did, but they did. We now have a sacrifice of praise of our lips, of our heart. And they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Did you know that sacrifice will bring great joy in your life? The world will tell you, if you give up stuff, you're going to lose happiness. God says, if you give up stuff, you're going to gain happiness. Boy, isn't that counterintuitive to the me first generation? By the way, this is the biggest hashtag should be for America now, me first. Because it's all about, God says it's him first. Sacrifice to me, and then would come rejoicing. And it said, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. You want to have God make you rejoice and God give you great joy? Sacrifice. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. We don't sing near loud enough. And the neighbors start hearing it. Then it said it was heard afar off. Now, granted, this was an open-air event, so it, it wasn't inside a building like this. Verse 44, and at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings of the first fruits and the tithes to gather them from the fields and the cities and the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and charged the purification. And it goes on to say in verse 46, from the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers. They were bringing back what had taken place under King David, the singing, the rejoicing, the worship, the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers. In other words, they were giving financially now, which they hadn't been. 
to the gatekeepers and a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things to the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the chair, uh, consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word because it directs us. It reminds us, Lord, to willingly give ourselves in sacrifice that your joy would be made full, as you said in John 15, Jesus, in our life. Lord, consecrate us in this time now to you, for it's in your name that we humbly ask for you to transform us and renew us for your glory. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, prior to the rebuilding of the walls of the city, prior to the confession that took place and the admission of sins and the, the revival back in chapters 9, chapters 10, and the covenant that was signed. Remember, there was a covenant that was signed, which was a, a commitment or a return to purity, a return to worship, a return to giving to the Lord of their, even their treasure, which they had been withholding and trusting in, in money instead of giving it to the Lord. There was a whole lot of, prior to all that, there was a whole lot of this mindset. We're going to do what we want to do. Sound familiar? We're going to do exactly what we want to do. And God was a secondary consideration. Now, once you've been saved, it's, the Holy Spirit will never give you rest with God being a secondary consideration. Now, if you're unsaved, that's a dangerous place to be. But if you're saved, it's a dangerous place to be as well. I reference Jonah a lot. Bad idea to put God as a secondary consideration, right? But the Lord has now got a hold of the hearts of the people and we see the response, and we've been seeing the response in previous chapters. Now they've come to this day of dedication. If you're taking notes, we'll look at three things briefly. The first takes place, it's spelled out for us in chapter 11, the first couple of verses where we started out. So go back to chapter 11 in your Bibles, what I've titled Joyful Surrender. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten. We're not going to read all this, but again, just to kind of familiarize you with what we're looking at in this first uh, point, if you're taking notes, of joyful surrender. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. Now, first thing, it tells us that the leaders dwelt in Jerusalem. This is important to know. If you are a parent, you're called to lead. You're called to take steps of faith that your kids will follow. Now, if, you're, if you accept, if God calls you into leadership, when the Lord first put on my heart he was going to put me into church leadership was in 1999, so that was 20 years ago. He put it in my heart and had not really, I didn't mention it to anybody, but men came and said, we feel God is calling you to leadership. I'm like, I didn't tell you that. We didn't talk to each other. It was just the Lord confirming they laid hands on me back then, and I, and I knew that I would have to live a surrendered life. Now, all believers are called to live a surrendered life, but there is a difference. The Levites could not own land. That's kind of a bummer if you'd like to own land, right? If you would like to own, God said, no, no, you can't. This is, your, this is part of your calling. So leaders, they have to set an example of surrender, and they do here. It says the leaders said, we will stay in Jerusalem. Now, it was a beat-up trodden down the city at that point, although the walls have now been put in place. But they said, we'll, we'll, we'll set the example. We'll be willing to live here. Now, the people followed suit. 
They were all willing to say, all right, we'll cast lots, and whoever this lands on, we will also, one-tenth, move into the city. Now, there's some Bible scholars who believe verse 2 actually represents a third group of some people who were not even part of the cash lot. They just flat out said, we're willing to go live in the city, straight up. And if that reading is correct, then there is a third group here that said, hey, don't, don't worry about casting lots. We'll already... And, I, and I've met people like that. They end up being children's ministry leaders. They end up being choir directors. They end up being worship leaders. They end up being deacons that say, hey, I don't need even to wait. I'm willing to kind of do whatever needs to be done. And so there, there may be that third group here. But in, in any sense or any, any uh, understanding of the text here, we know that all the people were willing, if their number was called, to live in Jerusalem because they all were put into this lottery system, if you will. If your name is drawn on a hat, you're one out of ten, then you have to be willing to live in Jerusalem so we can repopulate the city, bring it back to life. Walls don't make a city. People inside the city make a city. Amen? Walls are for protection. But this was, uh, this was the work of the Lord calling them all to have this heart to be surrendered. Now, living in Jerusalem wasn't an e- it was not an easy move, but the people were willing to do it. The leaders led first. The people were willing to follow uh, for a couple of reasons. If you take note, number one, work had to be done. Not everybody gets excited about, hey, you get to live here and do a lot of work, but it's for the Lord. So, you, you know, you're going to do the work for the Lord. It's going to be his city. He, it, remember, it said the holy city. So if God called it holy, they said, all right, we will be willing to put in the blood, sweat, the equity for the work to be done. Number two, many people, if you were living in outlying villages, you would be leaving behind familiarity and leaving behind stability. Now, there's no more stable place than with God, but still, it's a step of faith when you walk away from something you know well. When I left the business world to go into full-time ministry, it, uh, it was unnerving for a few years. Uh, now it's out of my mind, but for a while it was quite unnerving for me. There's stuff you know how to do. And God says, I want you to do this instead, leaving behind familiarity. Number three, you'd have to build new relationships. You had your friends in these other villages. Now you have a bunch of... St- I know that they were related as in they were all Jewish, but they lived in different... They weren't, these weren't their friends. You have to build new relationships. You ever had God move you? Something God moved you to Richmond here and we're all new to you. And you've only been here a short period of time. We hope we become family too, but God moves you around. At first, it's uncomfortable. So there's an uh, un- unfamiliarity there with these new relationships. Number four, cities in ancient times were targets of warfare. A lot of times they would, a lot of times they would um, not pay much attention to villages, but they would go and set battle sieges against cities. So a city was a target. So if you said, hey, uh, like, maybe like today, if, if God calls someone and says, I want you to go live uh, in a country, in a city, in a hugely populated city where you know there's a lot of problems and you're used to being in, in a country and easy and kind of easy like Sunday mornings, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you, you, get, you get called to live in some big urban city in Brazil or India. It'd be a little frightful, right? Because cities are targets of crime and attack. And they had armies that would come against cities. So there was that you would have to deal with. And, and number five, city life is totally different. Me and my wife, before we 
got saved. We love city life. We lived in Miami. We, you know, if we hadn't got saved, we think we would have lived in New York City. or We just like city life. But some people hate city life. So if you hate city life, remember Green Acres? Goodbye, city life. You know that, that one? You know, uh, it was hello, city life. You know, you're coming in to city life. So that was different. Now, again, as the leaders, they chose to say, Lord, we will live here first. Uh, as a pastor, I can't live anywhere I want. I have to live somewhat near the church. I cannot just live anywhere I want. Because you know what? Um, I really prefer a waterfall, so I'm going to live two hours away. doesn't work that way. Uh, if you're going to lead, you have to be close to the action, so to speak. So they had, the leaders had to stay in the city. Whether they liked it or not, they must live close to where the people are. Can't live so far away. They had, to, they had to be there and do that. Now, the fact of the matter is no Christian really can live anywhere they want. You should be praying about your decisions. Amen? No Christian can do that. I'm going to go here. Paul warns of this in his letter to Timothy. I'm going to go to a city here, buy and sell, do this, do that. No, no, you have to pray through and say, Lord, what is your will for these things? No one can do what they want. But the Lord does give a little more latitude if you're not leading. Moses had to spend twice 40 days on top of the mountain. No one else did that. God said, this is what I want you to do. It's going to have to be this way. So as parents, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do to properly lead your kids. Amen? Well, other parents get to do what, well, they don't have kids that are still in the house. So they can now do that. But you can't. And so these kind of things are considerations of a yielded life. We say, Lord... Thy will be done. Let me ask you, when you're making plans, where does God fit in? When you're making plans. Well, say, I give God the really big decisions, but the small ones are all on me. No, no. Start your day in prayer, and even the small ones, he will lead in God. His word will be a lamp under your feet. The Lord as a, is the Lord a secondary consideration in your life, or is he the primary consideration? Is he a secondary, or is he the primary consideration in how you walk through your life. Many people, they always include God when there's sickness. That's when the prayer request got, right? When there's trials, when there's pain, when there's sadness, when there's urgent needs, all of a sudden, God, he needs a, he needs a primary place in my prayer life or thinking about these things. But for many, uh, where they live, where they work, how they spend their time, what they buy has nothing to do with God. In, in their mind, that's just personal preference and what they think will make them happy. The will of God, the purpose of God, the direction of God, these areas are of little or no concern. And scripturally, we know that God wants to lead us in what? Everything. Everything. He wants to lead us in everything. And that absolutely includes where we live, what we do for a living, how we'll spend his time in our minutes his time in our minutes, and his time in our, his resources that he's loaned to us for a period of time, right? He's kind of loaned us whatever we have, our time, talent, and treasure. He wants to be the Lord of all of these things. He's commanding it. And sadly, in our consumer-driven mindset, you know, we live in a consumer-driven society, wouldn't you say? Very much so. You type in a keyword, it's popping up all over the place. Uh, I type in shoes, and all of a sudden I've got, on my phone, Dick's ads coming up. How about this shoe? And all this kind of stuff. We're a consumer-driven mindset. 
Do you want your coffee this way or one of a thousand ways, right? I love what I read about if you go to Italy, I haven't done this. If you go to Italy, do not tell them how to make you a cappuccino. <laughs> they make it one way. <laughs> it's like, I would like soy, and I would like this, I like that. You know, uh, the Italian dude will look at you and say, this is your cappuccino. <laughs> we only make it. Cappuccino was invented here. We only do it one way. <laughs> they do not have all the extra froth, extra hot, half all this. No, no, one way. But in our consumer-driven mindset, many people don't pray or seek the Lord about even where they should worship. And ultimately, where they should serve where they worship. Many select a church in the same way they select a car. They look for features. They look for new technology. They look for a more comfortable or relaxing ride through the Christian life. Where did they get that in the Scriptures? It's nowhere to be found anywhere in the Scriptures. But the people that were surrounding Jerusalem, the people that had gone through this revival, they had come to a new revived place in their lives. That God, that God, that God and not themselves was to determine their priorities, their steps, and the plan for their lives. Isn't that a great place to be that God would determine the stuff, not us? By the way, if you determine it, you and I are prone to a lot of errors, aren't we? What we think will be a good move is not necessarily so. C.S. Lewis said, the full act out of the self-surrender to God therefore demands pain. Now, we don't want to hear that. But the full surrender demands some pain. This action to be perfect, must be done from the pure will to obey and the absence of an inclination. See, that's what I was saying. Forget that you don't have an inclination. Die to that and have a pure will to obey. And then God, like we said, he pours out joy and all these other things. The Lord's will for their lives and ours was to direct their homes, their careers, their gifts, their talents, their money, all to serve him, his leading, whatever that means, whatever that means, because it means different things. God, God's not going to put you in the exact same path as he's going to put me or the person sitting beside you, the person sitting in front of you, but he is going to direct each of our paths. And it's not easy to have that surrender, but it's the only right thing to do. Amen? Amen. No one said it was easy to surrender. It takes some pain. It takes a little sacrifice, but it's worth it. And here's the thing. The more we surrender, the more our hearts align with Christ, the more we walk in his footsteps and experience his character within us, we experience the character of God being formed within us, well, we become more like Jesus. Case in point, Jesus, would you agree with me that Jesus was the most surrendered person to ever walk the planet? Amen. Think about that. We're called to find, Would you agree, and I, you said a bunch of amen, that Jesus was the most surrendered person to ever walk? walk the planet. Every other person pales in comparison to his surrender. He wasn't called to live in a specific place. He said he had no place to lay his head. Now, I know he, called, he lived in a specific region, but he didn't build a house. He came from a house, amen? He left his father's house. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He wasn't called to a great career where people were patting him on the back forever but a great sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifice of his own life. Yet he walked in all of that and putting on humanity, he still walked with what? J-O-Y. 
joy. Isn't that great? Jesus went through all of that for us, and he still walked in joy for what? The joy that was set before him, even the cross, because he knew that the salvation of souls was pleasing the Father, and that brought him joy. What we have to get to the place that what brings us joy is pleasing the Father. Amen? Amen. Not, well, this city I like, but this city I don't. I like this, but I don't. My consumer-driven mindset says this will make me happy. No, no, we have to say, no, the joy of the Lord is my strength in following him. And here we see the people have this beautiful surrender, a willingness rather than a withholding. A willingness rather than a withholding. It may very well be that the, the city people were hoping for the country and the country people were hoping for the city. That God works that way. The, the, my wife and I grew the most. When we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, we had been at Central Church of God for a couple of years. Love the church. We grew tremendously at Central Church. And I've, pr- prayed, I've played some of Loran's uh, messages here. I still love to watch Loran preach. And, and I still have godly friends that are on staff there. But we grew the most when God took us out of Central over to little tiny Calvary Chapel, Charlotte, and we walked in that morning. There was like 26 people in the building. We were like, we got to get out of here. We came from a big church. (laughs) This is tiny. There ain't nothing going on here. The worship is not good here. (laughs) I'm not, the tunes are off. I mean, all kind. we were used to awesomeness. And God says, you you stay right in your lane right there. You ain't moving. God says, this is where you're going to stay. You're going to grow here. I'm like, I can't grow here. But the Lord would not give me any peace. I could not. There must have been 20 Sundays where Sarah said, let's find another church. And I said, I would, but God's telling me no way. And I don't want to be judged. So we didn't. And we grew. And our roots. And then, by the way, the church grew and everything else took place. So, again, God is all about changing us, not changing our circumstances. And so he will swap the city for the country and the country for the city. If that's what it takes, will we trust that God's path is best? Will we trust that? Even especially if it goes against our preferred plan, and the people did so willingly, and we see what starts to take place, what takes place next. At this dedication, now, you can't have a real dedication until your heart's dedicated, right? So there has to be the willing heart. So then when you go to worship, it's genuine. Like I said, that's why we pray before we before we get into the Word, that God would kind of clear out the clutter of things that would keep us from having a purified understanding of the Word. The Holy Spirit kind of clears the pathways of our ear, the pathways of our heart, right? And so they had said, Lord, all right, isn't it great that they actually did the lot casting before the worship service? Because if they did the worship service, then afterwards you found out you had to move the city, then you have people with bad attitudes after the worship. So they had to sort all that out first. Say, all right, here's the deal. Who's willing to live in Jerusalem? All the leaders say we are. Even if we're having to give up our homes that are outside villages, give up three generations, blah, 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 we'll come and live in some other people willingly. Everyone says they're willing. Okay, now that we all have our hearts in the right place, now let's worship. Isn't that great? That's what God's saying. Get, it, get the heart right. And then, now it is right to just start worshiping because sometimes that will help get the heart right as well. But we see in verse 27, chapter 12, turn there. Now this dedication of the wall, they sought out the Levites and all, of all their place to bring to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and singers. The dedication of the walls, if you're taking notes, we're looking at this as the joy, uh, joyful thanksgiving. The dedication of the walls, it's an act of worship. 
it was required of the people, but also it was a response of gratitude. We talked about it had to be done purified first. They had to purify the hearts. They purified uh, the walls and the consecrated things, but they really had to have the consecrated hearts. But this response of worship, you and I, we are commanded, not requested to give God worship and thanks. Isn't that good to know? God's not saying, please give me some thanks. Please give me a little song every now and then. He's saying, I command you to worship me. Do you want to know the will of God for your life? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I don't always know what God's will for me is next year when I'm 51 or 20 years, I'm 70 or whatever else. But I do know this. One thing won't change, to be thankful in everything. That's his will. Now, if we can get that right, the other things will fall in place. Amen? (laughs) Say, Lord, like Fanny Crosby, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. The simple heartbeat of her life was, I'm going to praise God day after day. But she was blind from the time she was a baby. How miserable would that be? Unless your joy comes from God. Unless you can see. Did you know you could be blind but still see God in the spirit realm? Not, I'm not seeing physically, but see the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And they've come in because their hearts are right. They can come in with thankfulness. Turn to Psalm 105 for just a second. We, we, we read the word psalms here in the passage, so it's good to look at a psalm while we're talking about psalms. And I love Psalm 105. I read it fairly often. Psalm 105, there's many great psalms, but this is one of the great ones. Psalm 105, starting verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Now when we, they sang, they sang loud, didn't they? Sing to him, sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. You need strength this morning? Seek the Lord. I always need strength. It's like God has to rebuild me every single day. I wake up like a wet noodle that has to be returned into iron or steel by the end of the day. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. God says, if you need strength, it better come from my mouth. But out of our mouths comes worship. Turn, you know, we can go back to Nehemiah here. Out of our mouth is this lifting up of praise. You know, you know the old cliche, sorry, I'm just not feeling it. Sorry, I, I'm just not feeling it. I, I'd really like to worship, but I'm not feeling like worship. It runs opposite of thankfulness, rejected out of hand. And start giving thanks anyway. And this is what's taking place. They've dedicated themselves. Now they've dedicated the walls or the city itself. And to say, Lord, they're saying, Lord, we're thankful that we're alive. We're thankful we have a city to dedicate. Isn't that great just to know? We have a city to dedicate. Nehemiah hadn't come back. There wasn't a city to dedicate. I mean, not one that was, that was fortified and strengthened. And they're giving the city back to the Lord and saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. They built, you know, they, they did all that in 52 days. It had been taken years, close to 100 years they hadn't rebuilt the walls. But that's the mindset the Lord wants to develop in you and me is to say, 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole, right? To have that constant thankfulness in our hearts that, I'm, that we're able to give back our lives to him for his glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you've brought us this far. He's brought us a long ways, hasn't he? Yeah, so, sometimes it's good just to stop and think back and say, you know, we, we did a lot of memory lane this week because 50 is a milestone that's a big deal. 50 means a lot in the Bible. There was 50 days to Pentecost, right? Numbers mean something in the Bible, and so sometimes you kind of, it's good to reflect a little bit and say, wow, God's brought us through this, and he's brought us through this. And that prompts praise, and it prompts gratitude. Remember, in Jerusalem, they had endured the very real threats of Sanballat and Tobiah. They had endured threats of death. You've probably had threats of death in your life when you had a doctor's visit, and you weren't sure how it was going to go, right? And you had all these feelings, and God says, but I'm for you. And he went before you, and he's kept you. Remember that at one point they had come and they had made the same threat ten times to strike fear into the people, to make the people run. And Nehemiah said, no, we'll call upon the name of the Lord. Stop and we'll rally together and pray. And so no doubt they had a reason to be thankful because God had built up endurance in them. If God is building up endurance in you, thank the Lord he's building up endurance in you. We're overcomers, the scripture says. I think there's also the gratitude of God's grace and mercy that they didn't have to face the judgment for their own past sin and rebellion. That's worth giving thanks for, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, that you're not judging me based... You, that's what I said, don't ever pray for justice. Pray for mercy. Because if you ask for justice, God says, let me roll out your list. And your bad does outweigh your good, unfortunately. Not that God measures it that way anyway, but if it did, we'd still be in a bad, a bad place. They had married pagan idol worshipers, hadn't they? They had compromised. They had sold each other into slavery. They had corrupted the Sabbath. They had ignored the required feast. Their worship was inconsistent at best. They had refused to give the tithe. They had refused to give monetarily back to the Lord. His house was in disrepair. They had neglected the temple of God. And yet God says, I'm going to receive you right now, and I'm going to fill you with joy. Isn't that worth giving thanks? God says, for all you've done against me, I'm going to love you anyway. And so they responded with so loud that you could be heard from afar off. But rather than judgment, God gave them mercy. That should launch a praise service. Just that knowledge. And it did. Uh, there were sacrifices that were given as a testimony or a testament to the worship being pure before the Lord and that they were sacrificing from their own hearts, which was represented in the animal sacrifices that took place there at the dedication. But the pure hearts and thankful hearts always go together. Amen? Pure hearts will become thankful hearts. Thankful hearts will become pure hearts. They are kind of two ends or of the same stick or one part of the same circle. Thankful hearts, pure hearts, they go hand in hand. And the stir, Lord stirs both in his children. He wants to stir you to purity. He wants to stir you to thanksgiving. He wants to stir me to purity. He wants to stir me to thanksgiving. They go hand in hand. And then there's the two worship choirs. Now, we, you know, you get the walls there and the, the gathering. You have one choir at one end and one choir at the other end. The Bible talks about the two witnesses sometimes. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, we talked about that Elisha asked for a double portion of the Spirit. These two choirs that God's saying, you know, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Alpha, Omega, these two, that I'm going to have two 
voice is projecting, if you will. I don't know what's all, all the reasons of the two. I'm just kind of thinking when I see twos in the Bible, sometimes there's these two Thanksgiving choirs. And we see they have instruments, verse 27, cymbals, stringed instruments, harps. You say, what, what does all that have to do with any of it? Well, God, God's given us some level of abilities and creativity to use for his glory. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, I'm glad we have people that have these skills. But did you know that there's at least 22 instruments mentioned in the Bible? Don't. You know, remember the old-time legalistic churches? Don't let them know drums are actually in the Bible, just so they know. Uh, some, you know some were really against drums, you know, like a, but they are mentioned in the Bible as a valid instrument. Drums, yes, yes. So, but a lot of stringed instruments, you know, flutes and harps and all these different things. But it was all to be used for the Lord's glory. Don't you love verse 42 and verse 43? Let's look at it again. The singer sang loudly. I can't tell people to stop singing loudly. Tell, stop worshiping the Lord so sincerely. <laughs> Dial it down for the sake. You know, now, I will say, be, be sensitive to people, new believers, you know, so don't yell in their ear and stuff like that. You know, be sensitive to believers. New in the faith, people are coming from quiet backgrounds. It's a, you do want the wisdom of the Lord. But there's also the stirring of the Lord. And in that day, they offered great sacrifices. They rejoiced with great joy. God had made them filled with joy. The women and the children rejoiced. Even kids were singing. Kids sing great. The joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. I hope that God, I hope that Chesterfield County sees the joy in us afar off. Amen. Not just when we're singing, but just when you're walking through Target or when you're walking through life, you know, that people can see the joy of the Lord. Uh, but what an awesome verse is verse 43. It was authentic. It was anointed. It was joyful. It was worship and thanksgiving that glorifies God. It was a sweet aroma to him. It was refreshing. And by the way, worship like this is not needed for God, but it is needed for us. Amen. Let me make that clear. It's worthy for God, but not needed. He does not. He'll survive just fine without our worship. He doesn't need anything from us. He's worthy of the worship. We need the worship. Amen. We actually need it. We actually need to be refreshed by worship. It ministers to our spirit. It's pleasing to him, but he doesn't need it from us. But he demands it from us. But that's not where it ends. You know, it's not a concert that Christians attend, and it just fades away after a couple of months. Real worship lives on in our life. Amen? It lives on after the song is gone and you're driving home. It lives on when actually the next day there's problems arise and deadlines are in your life and all this other stuff. No, uh, real worship will spur a joyful walk and a service of the Lord. Graceful and joyful believers respond with hearts that say this, here I am, here I am, Lord, use me, send me. Amen? Amen. Because the worship results in this last point that we'll look at, the last verses, verses 44 through 47. I can't read them all, but you see in verse 44, if you're taking notes, joyful ministry, what takes place, and at the same time, some were appointed. So now, out of the worship service, people are appointed. We talked about this in Titus. Paul said, appoint elders. Worship services are great. They're needed. Prayer services are great. They're needed. But it should give birth to a stronger army. Amen? Amen. Does that make sense? That it should give birth to more people saying, I'll put my hand to the plow. 
here's what I can do. Here's what I will do. But not in our own strength and not to impress God, but to be part of the plan of God. And so some were appointed over the rooms, the storehouses to offer the first fruits and the tithes. You know, some will minister, administer these things, but all are called to be givers. So we see the tithes and the offerings and the Levites and the priests. They were called to live in the city, but to take that leadership example. Verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers. Gatekeepers aren't singers. Some of you are gatekeepers out in the parking lot. We don't have gates, but we have two entrances here. We only have two gates, that gate and this gate, you know, the other one. And we have door gates, if you will, in the building. So we have people that do functional roles and people that do worship-driven roles. People that do discipleship-driven roles and people that do kind of protection-type roles. But all of these things, you have administration roles. Who's going to administer how much oil is in the storehouse, how much wheat is in the storehouse? All of these things are important. And then you see, again, uh, the verse 46, the, the fact that this was going all the way back to the kingdom of David, who was a great leader and administrator, but David was also a man of worship and prayer. And so, again, in the ministry, it should produce the work of the Spirit, but also work from the Spirit. In other words, people put their hands to the plow, not looking back, but the reason why someone's over there changing a diaper right now, which could be a gatekeeper role or an administrative role or I don't know what other kind of role you put it. Someone's changing a diaper for the glory of God. Amen. Amen? Amen? And you're being able to worship while their, I believe, diaper changing is worship to the Lord. And it might be someday worth more to Jesus in the day than somebody who did a bunch of other stuff, but they did it with an impure heart or impure motives where someone else said, no, I, I love doing this so the parent can be over there and be refreshed. I love teaching the kids and giving out my 1,000th goldfish this morning so someone else can be refreshed. I love the fact that it was a rainy day and I stepped in mud out in the parking lot so someone else can be refreshed, right? I love that I had to endure the vortex outside so somebody else could be refreshed. And God wants us to worship and in song and thank, but he also wants to e us to equally worship him in service, Amen. He wants it to result in something. Charles Spurgeon said, stale godliness is ungodliness. Let our religion be as warm and constant and natural as the flow of blood in our veins. A living God must be served in a living way. Amen? A living God must be served in a living way. There is work to be, gone, be done, as A.W. Tozer said, the world is a battleground, not a playground. And one thankful heart that's singing Yes, it sets ambushes for the enemy, as, as the book of Chronicles tells us, but it also gives us stations to man and places to serve him and places to use our time, our talent, and our treasure that more people would come and sing. Amen? That's what we're doing. We, we are serving so more people would come to saving faith. And as I close here, my desire is that everything on this property... We don't have walls, but we have a property. That Everything on this property is consecrated to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Us first, but the playground, the gra our beautiful gravel out there. Isn't it gorgeous, right? Uh, our nice brown grass, our wood chipped paint uh, chipping picnic tables, those gorgeous modulars over there, all of these things. God would use them all for his glory. Amen? Amen. But the worship in our hearts would be first pure and willing and surrendered. And if that happens, God will pour out joy, and then who knows what he'll do next. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we thank you this morning that you are a gracious God, a merciful God. Just like the people in Jerusalem, Lord, you overlooked, you're willing to forgive their past sins and indiscretions. But you also reminded them that you would preserve them through many threats and toils and snares and dangers as you have with us. And Lord, in this room, we just want to say, Lord, thank you. And Lord, as best we know how, we surrender our hearts to you. And we joyfully worship you with thanksgiving. And Lord, lastly, we want to continue or enter into serving you that we were part of the labor and the effort of your kingdom in this world. Lord, we just pray your blessing on each and every person here that we would be true worshipers, as you said in John chapter 4, but Lord, that you use us as effective servants in this world in which we live. And we pray your blessing on this ministry, the people that serve within it, the families, the individuals, each and every one. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.